Chapter Four, Part One of The Spring of Joy by Mary Webb. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Beauty, Part One The Beauty of Form. Who was he whose pencil drew the whole round of the sun? Virgil. Man can never hope to touch, in things of his making, the perfection of the forms of nature. His most magnificent architecture is dwarfed by the structure of natural things. The purest classic curve, so satisfying because so gentle, so quickening to the imagination because it leads the mind on to wish for the completion of the circle, seems small beside the curve of the horizon. The height and poetry of clustered columns dwindle beside the thousand pillars of the forest. It is not only the immensity of nature that makes the difference. It is something deeper. It is the contrast between creative genius and mere constructive art. Man makes things piece by piece, shaping them from outside, but natural forms come from within. There is no mosaic work. The creation grows up perfect in itself. These things live. Though we call trees inanimate, it is really only man's structures that are so. No living germ is in his pillar, as in the heart of an oak. Only in the intangible things of the mind can man approach this creative power. And even then, it is seldom that a thought springs up in faultless symmetry into music or poetry. The grass blade rising from its sheath in unassuming perfection is more marvellous in its imminent beauty than the two-edged blade of a legendary angel sword. Where did the first shaping happen? Was the blade there when the sheath began to push through the soil? or when it lay ready to emerge in minute integrity from the root. The same curiosity is awakened by the small brown bud at the end of a chestnut twig in autumn, a little farther on than this year's fruit. How much of the future form is hidden in that small sphere? How much embryo tree is wrapped in its inner cases of wool and velvet? What hint of next summer's white chalice and green finger dwells in its innermost recesses. Long before the unfolding of these buds in April, when the downy leaflets uncurl, you can see, if you open one, the compressed cluster, each yellowish ball about the size of a pinhead, which is the future flower, and the faint dawnings of leaves all wrapped in soft wadding. The thought of the sap forming itself into these marvels, of the skilful, silent artistry going on without hands, at the end of every bough and at the heart of every root, makes the world a place of almost unbearable wonder. The absolute silence makes this more impressive after one has realized it, but sometimes it makes one forget what is happening. Man's work is accompanied by so much noise. If he desires a silver cup for sacraments, 
they must go into its fashioning the sound of hammering the scratch of a chisel the roar of a furnace but when the innumerable chalices of the privet are made ready for the hawk moth's first taste of honey there is no stir at all the aisles and transepts of our temples rise with clamour of voices and commotion of labour even the poetic silence of solomon's building meant tumult somewhere but the isle of pines down a mountain side the transept of beeches in a valley rise as softly as though in majestic completeness a crocus achieves her end her curving cup stands up in the light and air in spite of the weight of inanimate matter pressing on her from all sides during her upward progress with thin petals folded close in the delicate pointed case she comes through scatheless and silent not only does this formative power triumph over all obstacles in producing its special symmetry but it evolves countless variations of it from one germ of life as in the pear trees latticework of little twigs pillars of trunk and branch flat oval leaves round five-petalled flowers pitcher-shaped calyx pointed seeds and fruit like a falling raindrop stranger than this complexity is the continuity of individual forms what slumbers in the fourfold seed case of the beech and is essentially different in result from the embryo in the winged samara of an elm the beech leaves that virgil loved before christianity came into the world throw the same shadows on our churches as they did on the forest altars of pan every year the daisy root sends up its little rayed disc when long ago odoric of pordenone left the snowy alps for the himalayas snow crystals of the same form still fell round him these complex and lovely figures condensing upon their mysterious nucleus of cosmic dust always keep the same intrinsic structure feathered stars roses set in ferns rayed trefoils seaweed-like fronds full of little suns they have all the same angles and are made hexagonally just as a certain air introduced continually in a piece of music expresses the idea of the composer so this perpetual reincarnation of the same cabalistic signs in nature might help us if we could gather the scattered meanings to a clearer understanding of the plasmic force behind them a force patient and vast vouchsafing no explanation in this occult script the world might find a new bible of spiritual enlightenment a writing not in fire upon tablets of stone but in subtle traceries on young leaves and buds have not all symbolic artists children and priests of new religions some intuition of this for the thought so dim and so dear that all fine contours are a direct message from god is rooted deep in the minds of the simple-hearted who are the magi of the world 
we see now that christianity has interpreted it for us the significance of the cross that monogram of christ and cote d'amour of pity built up somewhere in the branches of almost every tree stamped in the centre of almost every flower humanity had learnt to make the cross long before that mild night when the flocks cried across the slopes of bethlehem and their keepers whispered of visions it may be that if christ had not died the meaning of the cross would have been revealed in some other way the circle with its segments curve crescent semicircle is another letter of the multitudinous alphabet one of the loveliest variations of it is the chalice where the centre has receded so that the flower is at once round and deep in all cup shapes and trumpet shapes there is the fascination of this remote centre where the heart of the bloom dwells two of the most beautiful of these are the white convolvulus san grail of the hedges and the dwell that lurid amphora where the death's head moth with its weird form and wings of enchanted purples drinks under the white light of the moon and if it is touched cries out like a witch in a weak strident voice the world is based on curves for each of us morning means the growing circle of the sun we wait in storms for the grand half-circle of the rainbow which is far more impressive in its governed sweep embracing the world than in the flaming of its seven divided colors there is nothing so restful as a perfect circle whether seen as in the full moon or implied as in the young crescent it is a symbol of things men feel but cannot understand so merlin made the round table in tokening of the roundness of the world so vaughan saw eternity like a great ring nearly all essential things are round the perianth of flowers where the seed is stars the window of the eye lines after all are only for measuring circles the diameter of the earth is unimportant in itself though perspective has an extraordinary power of bringing wonder hunger for the far away fear of the future it must be a long perspective a piece of road or a tree must attain a certain length or height before it haunts the imagination but a circle however small is immutable holds infinity because of this and because of the implied centre it is the most perfect symbol of divinity all green things that have to cleave their way come into the light like swords grass leaves emerging from the sheath shoots splitting the bark all these are pointed in the outermost branches and the topmost twig of a tree the point sharply defines the limit of the individual form as it stands against the vagueness of air the point is where thought slips from the finite to the infinite like a bird balanced on the top of a fir tree before he trusts himself to immensity 
at the point of death has in it something of this idea of the sudden ending of a form where the topmost shoot of mortality ceases upon the eternal the circle is static the point dynamic man finds in the plastic beauty of earth revelations for his practical needs it is as if the forms of nature waited through the centuries until the moment comes for man to gather the ripe idea in them the acanthus gave its curve to greek sculpture the symmetry of many plants is akin to the spirit of ancient peoples woad with leaves like roughly made arrowheads golden saxifrage with its calyx like a roman urn meadow vetchling with its curious stipules like spearheads locked in conflict wandering once in june over some roman ruins in an english field i was struck by the strange kinship between the plants that now carpet the place and the men who once lived there perhaps some roman gathering saxifrage for medicine wondered at the perfection of the little cup and designed one like it or an armourer looking idly at the lathyrus stipules may have gained from them the idea for a new kind of spear earlier still a british boy plucking woad may have chipped an arrowhead in imitation of it in the hot silence of the broken walls the saxifrage cup was as redolent of rome as the glass urn that was found buried there the lathyrus leaves like spears and swords among the scarlet banners of the poppies recalled the glory of the cohort and legion to know the beauty of earth's lineament one must watch them through the seasons spring is the time of points and immature half rounds when everything is folded there is a gradual thickening of outline a massing of shapes a growing indefiniteness of branch and twig the intrinsic structure of winter is being veiled by the new extrinsic forms leaves cover the bare hawthorn flowers foam over the leaves then comes summer the underlying frame is obliterated when the woods are flooded with bloom the leaves are almost unnoticed when the country is a swing with music and a light with color and the fields are full of seeded grass the curves of the flowers are softly effaced and rounded into the regnant fruit then autumn sends a wind in the treetops twig after twig emerges from the ramifications of foliage the little birch discards her last raiment and stands erect in essential beauty with every graceful branch delicately outlined on the sky the ash looks as fine as maidenhair with its intricate traceries interspersed with brown samaras the most ethereal forms belong to winter hers is the beauty that the leaf has when substance and sap are gone and only the frail white outline remains this is the best time to learn the proportions of things the lack of this period of stern outline 
must make a difference in the character of the inhabitants of lands that never know any cessation of luxuriance. In a winter landscape, especially in a wood, there is the same kind of purity that the Greeks saw in the unclad human form. It is like a young athlete, ready for racing, with his flowing garments flung aside. It is an education in restraint. After seeing it, one cannot forget the fine severity beneath all natural beauty. There is no impressionism in a tree or a hill. Under the irregularities of colour, the splashes and brilliant gleams, is the line perfection in which the impressionism of art fails. An artist can transfer the acacia to canvas in a series of green and white dots and blurs. But he does not achieve all the beauty, for beneath the tree's arborescence is the fineness of an etching. The knowledge that under the chestnut's thick curtains and the aspen's tremulous foliage is a faultless frame gives the trees an honour beyond mere surface beauty. It is this austerity in even the airiest thing, like a butterfly's wing, that makes the study of form ennobling. We do not know why the springing straightness of a bough, the cup-like hollow in an apple petal, the gentle curves that meet at the end of a laburnum leaf, are so lovely. We only feel their delight. It may be because in all these shapes there is nothing extraneous, nothing unfinished. The flower has no unnecessary petals. The bird's homes are wholly complete. We can gain a grasp of this wonder of structure from a seed of groundsel, or the sparrow's feather picked up in the street. For a spray of plummy meadowsweet, or one dandelion floret, is a poem in itself. And the sand particle is complex, curiously fashioned and polished. The triangles, ovals, trefoils and eared circles of pollen are minutely perfect. The pollen grain of chicory, an outer and inner hexagon united by rays, is a rose window in a shrine of lapis lazuli. It needs naught behind it, for it illumines itself. Within is no mere painting, but a powerful principle, an active creature, the architect of next year's sky-blue temple. There is a striking unity in some flowers between the shape of the pollen grain and that of the calyx and corolla. The open chicory flower and the pollen grain are both polygonal and rayed from the centre. The pollen grain of the passion flower, like a round filigree box with a lid, is almost exactly the same in construction as the centre of the flower with its enamelled cutwork of stamen, stigma and filament. Apart from colour, form is awe-inspiring, because it seems to be the outcome of mind alone. The marble whiteness and stillness of a statue, and the greatest of Greek tragedies, these strike coldly on the heart, for their creators were occupied with form and intellect to the exclusion of more emotional things. A skeleton is terrifying for the same reason. 
at the thought of the mountains in the moon and of all places of a kindred desolation upon earth we tremble in these majestic and gloomy formations no stir or gleam hides from us the fearful vision of what the world might have been if its economy had not included the kindly and comforting developments of life motion and colour the forms of nature seem to speak of the ageless and omnipotent life of their cause who formed the round reed in the marsh for the music of pan the rugged upland tree for the cross of christ man's ingenuity cut and notched the reed for joy and bound the wood straightly for pain but the hollow reed and the ash tree were not of his shaping any more than the wild melody of the syrinx or the magnificent silence of calvary were of human impulse End of chapter four part one